Welcome, everybody, to Jubilee Street. Every week, I, Ian McCurtis, a punk rock musician from another dimension, try to talk about a Nick Cave song while my co-host, Jake Curtis, just blatantly makes up lies about the world I come from and tries to throw this whole shit off the rails. This week, we are talking about the Hammer songs. I set out on Monday, the night was cold and vast, my brother slept. I left quite quietly, my father raged and raged, my mother wept. Jake, I set out on a Thursday, the night was cold and vast. And my co-host Jake slept, and though I left quite quietly, blew the intern dog, raged and raged, and Nick Cave wept. Wow. That's right. It's the Hammer song this week. We are doing two songs, two for one this week. And, and look, yo, I know we keep doing these covers. This is the last cover we're going to do for a We're not a while. doing covers anymore. We're done. For a while. Yeah. We've done so many covers in not that many episodes, but this is one cover and one original, so it's only half the cover episode. You know, quick shout out for covers. Uh, Ian did a fantastic cover of Idiot Prayer, the song, and you can find that. Uh, where can you find that, Ian? On Spotify, YouTube. Those are the only two places. We've done a lot of covers, and we haven't done, you know, Kicking Against the Pricks is a whole covers album. We haven't done a single song off of that yet, somehow. So first thing I'll say is a baller move, or as they say in Australia, baller move, mate. <laughs> uh, a baller move that Nick Cave put out a cover record. Like, I mean, I guess he technically released like four or five records by this time. I'm not surprised that he put out a cover record based on there's some bands that never do that and they put less records. It, it was pretty early. So um, did, had you ever heard of Alex Harvey before? I hadn't, but I love that song. I hadn't either. Um, I know we have quite a few listeners in England. I'd, I'd love to know uh, jubileestreetpot.gmail.com if that's something that is kind of more popular in England. Like, I had never heard of him. And then through the Nick Cave cover, I learned that he was kind of a proto-punk artist, kind of like T-Rex, like really influential on The Clash and some punk bands. And I saw when the Sex Pistols first came out, a few people even would like say that Johnny Rodden was just ripping off Alex Harvey, but somehow here in America, like I think he's super obscure. Never heard of him. I think I like his version of the song better than Nick Caves because I feel like Nick Caves is just more like Tom Waitsy and. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I just love the not that I don't like Tom Waits, listeners. Here comes the hate mail, but I Waits mail. I think I'm I, I like how like grandiose and like rock and roll the like Alex Harvey's version is. And also there's some cool artwork for this on YouTube, uh on their topic. You know how Topic uploads all the music. It's just like a I think it's what happens when people put their music on streaming platforms. But the it's the cover on the YouTube is like sort of like a comic book panel collection and on it says the last of the teenage idols and it's Alex Harvey with like this like jacket this like purple like super like british like 70s jacket on and like it's really cool so you know we like comics here on jubilee street so i really like this song too it's like so iggy pop is really hit and miss for me this is like in the style of iggy pop that i like 
so what I like about this song is that for the first like three minutes, it's just acoustic guitar, vocals, and then uh, electric guitar. And I'm curious, since this song came out in 1972, do you remember, do you know the Funkadelic record Maggot Brain? Yes. Maggot Brain came out in 71. This looks like it came out in 72. But uh, listeners, if you know better than us or me, tell me. So the first track on Maggot Brain used to be like a fully tracked like band song. <laughs> but George Clinton had such a happy trigger finger with the editing. It, it ended up like kind of causing that iteration of Funkadelic to kind of implode. And a lot of the guys who worked on that record didn't come back. And a lot of them went on to work with like Miles Davis on his later era, like jazz like weird ass jazz fusion shit uh not even like uh the on the corner shit i didn't Um, mean bitches rue what's the one that's like kind of rocking uh on the corner dark magus that kind of stuff um i don't know what i'm talking about anyway the connection i'm making here is that they're there i i hear a distinct funkadelic like guitar influence here and uh eddie hazel's the guitar player and i guess for that song, he he told Eddie Hazel that his mom had just died and to play guitar like if your mom had just died. And Harvey's song, Alex Harvey's Hammer song, just reminds me of that because then I, th- you think it's just going to be like that because it goes on for so long in his in his song, and then it just sort of explodes and the drums come in and I, I, it's a fucking it, it's a rock and really tune. Like- I'm surprised it's not like a song that I knew. Like it seems like a a song that would just be like canon and classic rock. Like it's really good. Yeah. When that when it like kicks in, that lead guitar is so like you know like Led Zeppelin classic rock, which I usually don't like, but it's so good just the way it was written. And I think to sort of not talk too because this is a Nick Cave podcast, so we need to talk about Nick Cave a little bit. But I I what I usually do is I try to find some review sites that I like and I like a lot of the criticism on pitchfork. And I read a couple of things on like all music. And I found this one for uh, the good son, which we'll talk about later, but I found a cool quote on here. So in a sense, uh, this is from the pitchfork article, which is like a collection of those uh, mid eighties run of records. So kicking against the pricks, I'm pretty sure preceded your funeral, my trial. And what happened is, I guess, all of these covers, this is what it says in the record, what Cave attempted with Kicking Against the Pricks was not all that different than what any one of us do when we hit a karaoke bar, push ourselves out of our comfort zones and have a bit of a laugh while doing so. Certainly, the seeds have never sounded more cheerful than in the Slosh group singing along of Velvet's All Tomorrow's Parties, so on and so forth. Um, they don't mention the hammer song in their review, but I think what's interesting is you can hear the influence uh, because for listeners go back and listen to our episode about sad waters, because it's the first song on your funeral, my trial, which is us followed, which follows kicking against the prick. So without going on too much longer, um, it's cool to, I think that these covers were really like a cool stepping stone for the band. And I, I think they got some new members and, yeah. I had trouble finding a lot of information about this Alex Harvey song as far as like stories about it being written. And even the Nick Cave one too, this is, you know, kind of a more deep cut Nick Cave song. 
but I think there must be some connection to the like the classic folk song that's called the Hammer Song. If I had a hammer, by Pete Seeger, and like everybody's covered it, like Johnny Cash, Sam Cooke, Peter, Paul, and Mary. I I want to say Cher has done it. It's just like a There's song. Been a lot that, of people. Yeah, and it was a big song in the like civil rights movement in America in the '60s. And I don't know. I really wanted to find some sort of interview or something with Alex Harvey about like the connection to the folk song. Cause the hammer song is like a very specific title. It's not like if someone else wrote a song called the hammer song is probably in reference to that one. It's not, it's a weird song title, but I couldn't really find any like direct connection, but I'm guessing that was like in his mind. I think this song inspired a lot of metal bands. This song sounds like a the Dio song. Harvey. Yeah. Yeah, when he uh, starts belting it out, like vocally, yeah, I totally hear the Dio thing. Well, I mean, what's more metal than a hammer to the anvil? Like, that's that's some Iron Maiden, like, fucking Metallica type shit. Like, don't talk to me, said the man with the chisel, chiseling the surface. I've been sleeping far too long, and I keep on chiseling. Like, there's nothing too deep to these lyrics, but they're succinct, and they get the job done, and... I think they're perfect for a Nick Cave to cover. I think this is a perfect Nick Cave song to like. This is a yeah, perfect song for Nick very, Cave to cover. Like I would 100 percent believe Nick Cave wrote these lyrics. The and the thing, you know, the thing is, is like the only thing that's not very Nick Cave about it is there's not some fucking reference to Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> Damn. Damn. So the one thing that I love in the Nick Cave version that I think is so cool that should have been in the original is mm-hmm. when he says. Uh, I keep on hammering, hammering the anvil, and there's that symbol. Yeah, that's awesome. They hit the symbol. So all you drummers out there, usually every time you crash on a symbol, you hit the kick drum at the same time. It just sounds better. There's a very weird sound like hitting a symbol by itself. But in the song, it's just a symbol alone. And it sounds so, it just sounds weird. It's not how you used to hear in a symbol. And so it fits so well. I wish that was in the original version. I'm glad you brought that up. I I, I think it like makes t- it makes that cover like it's the coolest thing yeah. about it. And it's for a band that's so prolific and like longstandingly in, like inspiring and and influential. Uh, Nick Cave and his guys work like until the ambient trilogy. I feel like, and once again, you know, I'm speaking from still being a relative newbie to Nick Cave because. I'm learning as I go, whereas Ian's kind of more the the scholar of this. We should we can say, or the um, you know, he's kind of the librarian. So he uh, kind of, the the they work within a very like this is a rock and roll band making these really grandiose songs. It's it's like it's kind of like what like Radiohead did for like electronic rock, uh, like mainstream electronic rock music. Nick Cave did that just for rock music, like in the eighties and nineties, like he was making these grand epics, but it was mostly just him and a piano if you were lucky. And then you might maybe get some extra instrumentation and then, but other than being like really thrashy sometimes, or, you know, really chaotic, like kind of heart, like hanging on to some elements of the birthday party. By the time he hits the nineties, it's this very like, like that's and to use the verbiage of the song it's very he's chiseled it down to this like almost like a like a formula and you know that's what's so cool like i mean we've probably said this before we'll say it again it's a band full of just weirdos like blixa and mick harvey 
and Nick Cave, obviously, but they're just writing like ballads. They're just like weirdos making normal songs, and it, it's such a unique end product. I think all the time it, they just do so much with so little. And I know that at this point they were, by the time, I mean, they were, I just feel like they were rock star. Like they were, they were being like rock and rock and roll stars in a time where you could like actually do that. And like, they were just recording all the time and touring and traveling and they just, that's just what they did. And they could be weird and experimental because they wanted to be, I think that's why Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and every member, they're all so appealing because they're just literally making what they like and they're playing off each other. And, you know, there was that story I posted about on Instagram last week, or it'll be two weeks ago when this episode comes out about Conway Savage and that song on Abattoir Blues where there's flute. I'm pretty sure Warren, it was Warren, right? Or was it Mick Harvey? It was uh, Conway Savage came up to Warren Ellis and he's like, you better fucking, you better put that fucking flute up your, ironically, they're recording in the studio and Nick Cave's just like, why don't you play like flute on this? And then he just, they take like a dozen or two dozen takes of Warren just sounding like shit and ass and like they use it on the track and it sounds really pretty and it's, it's, they're just embracing creativity. And I think even these covers it shows that I, how important it was for them to make this record because all of the stuff that comes after this is very experimental. It's also like not being afraid to look dumb. Oh, yeah. You know, like we both grew up in punk rock and like for as much as you would think listeners who like aren't in that subculture that you would think it's about like individuality, a lot of times it's not. It's about, you know, looking cool and fitting into this little thing. Yeah. So it's cool that... By this time, Nick Cave was moving away from that scene, but Punk still loved him. And then he puts out this cover album where he's doing like, you know, some country stuff like Jimmy Webb and Johnny Cash, this like British garage rock. Uh, There's like a John Lee Hooker cover, just like an old blues guy. Like he's doing stuff that most like punks would have thought was lame. And he just didn't, he didn't care. He did a, there's a Jimmy Hendrix cover on here. Yeah. And like usually, the Cure also did a Jimi Hendrix cover. Usually, like, yeah. your tried and true punks would be like, fuck that. But, you know, he didn't give a shit. And I love that. So, I mean, I, that's something I've always appreciated about you, Jake. You love Cody and Cambria and don't care. Wow. You're <laughs> going to have to take, you're going to have to take that. You're going to have to edit that out. Um, I, I still listen that, that'll to be your That'll be your kicking against the pricks. It'll be a Gabriel Ha, Cody and Cambria cover album. <sighs> I don't want to. Die. <laughs> you really called. You really called me out live there. Um, hey, I, I like. I like dumb shit too. Not that that's dumb so, shit. It's not a dumb shit at all. But uh, but I like it stuff is, that people. It is, I like. I like things that people think are lame. Is the campiness of that band is not lost on me anymore. And to be quite honest, there's a lot of stuff that you like when you're 15 that you don't like when you're almost 30. And I'd barely listen to it anymore. But I appreciate what it did for me and what they meant to me when I was a kid. And it gave me this sense of belonging. And I, that's the beautiful thing about music. And that's why Nick Cave is so cool to like be a part of that community is like, I just got to feel like I was a part of something like I was in on something, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I think that's a good, I think this is a good transition into hammer song from the good son. 
Yeah, so just a few years later, uh, but King Gets the Pricks comes out in 86. And then four years later, in 1990, he puts out The Good Son. And wouldn't you know, there's also a song called The Hammer Song on there. Let me start this off. This song is cool as fuck. It is like one of the most underrated Nick Cave songs, I think. Yeah. That like surfy guitar part is like, this is like if Nick Cave wrote a James Bond theme. That's straight up what it is. It's a James Bond yeah. theme. Like if Martin Scorsese directed a James Bond movie and it was like dark and gritty, this would be the Bond theme. I just want to say how much I enjoy the vibraphone from Mick Harvey. I think it adds this like really cool, like, like to me that makes me feel more like a, like a guitar solo does when the vibraphone Mm -hmm. kicks in in the beginning and then it comes back later on in the song. And I also just want to say, I love the cover of this album. I think the cover art is so creepy and like, it's creepy and it's like this is like him doing a clear change like yo this album so this song really like sticks out on the album most of this album is like tender piano songs and he's like i'm making i'm making a change now i'm i could play these songs sitting with some little kids what's really interesting is he recorded this in brazil this entire record and this is also an album with Kid Congo Powers playing guitar on it, which I think you can hear pretty prominently uh, in in these songs because uh, he adds this like you can. He- I feel like I'm starting to un- like hear how he plays guitar. Yeah, I don't and, know if he does that like surfy that James Bondy lead, but it's definitely like something he would play for sure. I I agree, or he he helped write that, and then yeah, I, w- I would think so. I'm I'm gonna assume here, listeners, if you want to write in and tell us if we're wrong. I think that all of the string section that are in this song and all in this record uh, were all Brazilian musicians that were working in that studio they recorded recorded in. Yeah, I know he worked with a lot of like Brazilian musicians for sure on this one. And because music is often pretty personal to the people who create it, uh, especially the people who write the lyrics for the songs and do the vocals because they're the mouthpiece for the music, uh, this song is clearly like a get clean or this album and this song we could say they're clearly like a get clean song as with most nick cave songs there's a very like you know allegorical approach to the lyrics and then the hammer came down or the hammer came down and there's this great chorus like like guitar chord progression going on and it's just so like I just imagine like Nick Cave like walking through like a cobblestone street and like crushing stone underneath his feet and um, about I stumbled to, into a about city. To commit a heist. The, well, I, yeah, uh, I tried to stumble into a city where the people tried to kill me. I sh- I ran in shame, and then I came upon a river and I laid my saddle down. And there's so many like ideas and images he creates here of like cleansing and. All through the night and the seventh hour, an angel came with many snakes in all his hands, and I fled in fright, pushed off into the river, and the waters came around. And uh, I mean, I just kept imagining an episode of The Simpsons where, you know, someone would be talking to God, and 
it would never be no there would be no face or like human figure it would be like a hand coming out of the sky and i or like homer simpson being in court for doing something stupid and then a it's that one uh i think it's i think that the one the main judge in the simpsons is like an older black man character oh yeah yeah uh and he's like guilty and uh, the gavel goes down and there's just a sense of like judgment here that you don't hear as much on kicking against the pricks because it's a cover record. But, and I only say that because we're talking about both, both of those uh, albums that are both of these albums on one episode. But uh, yeah, this album is so pretty. I mean, there's a lot of like love songs and then you have this song that's just the hammer came down, like life is just crushing you. Nick Cave is like, yo, don't forget, I'm so dark as fuck. There's a line in a Guardian article I found from 2016. It's uh, Twisted Musical Treats, Five Hidden Gems from Nick Cave's Catalog. And the hammer song from Good Son uh, is mentioned. It's the first yeah. one. Um, and they said the actual hammer described in the song is the most powerful and yet quietest tool I've ever heard described in song. What do you think about that? It, uh, so this song always makes me think of that, uh, Johnny cash song from those American albums. That's uh, yeah. One day God's going to strike you down or whatever. Yeah. It's, it gives me that same vibe. Just like the hammer of just like fate of just like, you can't outrun it. It's just always looming over you. Yeah, the and the instrumentation makes you feel like that. Uh, Nick Cave was definitely a pirate in a past life. There's there's no doubt in my mind. He was definitely a pirate. Him and Tom Waits probably were on different boats, and they fired cannons at each other. And oh, yeah. Nick Cave's cannons always landed, but Tom Waits was the one who had the blind luck, and he would take down the freighters with a like a Tom Waits cannon. was like... He wasn't firing cannonballs out of the cannon. He was just throwing weird shit in there. He was throwing, like, cats and, like... Babies. Uh, yeah, like, uh, old biscuits. He was just throwing random shit into the cannon and firing it. Wad, wads of, like, tobacco spit. <laughs> uh, uh, Jake, are you familiar with Trip Hop at all? Um, I don't really know what falls under Trip Hop. I always think of, like, uh, Fantagram, and I... I've heard Fantagram songs, but I couldn't tell you. So I wouldn't, I mean, maybe they, I, w I wouldn't really call Fantagram trip hop. It's so it's like a early nineties, British sort of wave of bands like massive attack, Portishead, tricky. Oh, I know. I know Portishead, but I, I haven't listened DJ, to uh, massive. DJ shadow. Oh, There's a ton DJ of shadow. bands. It's sort of this, I feel dumb trying to describe it as American. Cause I think it's, so much bigger and oh you're quite dumb all day aren't you it's sort of like electronic music mixed with a lot of that like james bond i don't know what that kind of music is called that like those kind of melodies mixed with indie rock mixed with like club music it was just this like cool mesh of like all these cultures in the 90s that came together in these bands this song reminds me so much of what would become trip hop i don't know if this was like a precursor to that. I don't know if Nick Cave was in that scene at all. I don't think so. But it's got that vibe. Well, and If you aren't familiar with the genre, like there's a great trip-hop playlist on Spotify. It's pretty... You'll know which one it is. It has like a ton of followers. Uh, anybody listening, just kind of like put that on shuffle for a couple minutes. It's got a really cool vibe. It's just... 
doesn't sound like anything else. Oh, I know a lot of the groups on here. Ha! Jamiroquai's on here. Boards of Canada. Love love Boards of Canada. Yeah, I'm sure you know the like you know what it is, even if you don't know it. You know what I mean? I remember uh, like seeing a lot of these CDs when I worked at The Great Escape. A lot of there were just so many copies of just uh, that um that guitar lead in the song that that's like so yeah. trip hoppy. There's um there's a song on here where it goes. Oh, Sour Times from Portishead. Nobody loves me. It's true. Like, it's got like a very, or something. I don't know if I know the lyrics, but I know it's like, nobody loves me. Um, that song definitely, I could see sounding like this. And then there's a, man, you know who makes me think about them even more is that band, US Girls. That's, that to me reminds me of like super influenced by trip hop, like modern music. Yeah, definitely the like beats. I wouldn't say yeah. so much like the melodies, but like no, definitely the like electronic hip hop over indie rock kind of thing. Yeah. So I was gonna do a read a quote from this drowned in sound review of The Good Son. Yeah, do that, then I'll read a quote from Drowning Pool. Not everything is quite as it seems, of course, and just as the singles video reveals Nick's spotless turn to be a pastiche of a now past era of entertainer, the appearance of Harvey, Kid Congo Powers, and a bottle-brushed hair, or a bottle-brush-haired Blixa Bargeld as a trio of crooning backing singers knowingly winks at the band's new scrubbed clean, clean image. And so the ship song has become one of those poisoned love standards, drawing dewy-eyed couples closer before planting a chill into their hearts with the lines. And I, you can probably cut some of that out, but even this apparently mild manner paying to a new start in brazil feels restless and claustrophobic weighed down by a whirl of strings its chorus of brazilian singers repeat endless pieties in search of salvation uh there are references to inyo morricone or morricone uh western fans i apologize if i butchered that name but he did I, like the good the bad and the ugly soundtrack i think right yeah, a lot of those like he, classic westerns i think he I think he worked on some music for Quentin Tarantino or Tarantino use. Yeah. And I also believe he just died like within the yeah, past couple He died months. pretty recently. The hammer song sees another son cast adrift tormented by visions and an unbearable guilt with milk, milk <laughs> with Mick Harvey's vibraphone punctuating more stormily milk cinematic, Harvey. more stormily cinematic arrangements. Yo, milk Harvey is just Harvey milk like backwards. Like the, I think that's uh, what I have been wanting to say. And then, also, it used to be a Harvey Milk, Mick Harvey mashup. Are they all related to Alex Harvey? Someone, oh man, someone make that meme. Uh, I think this is like that, uh, what was that thing you brought up? That like brotherhood of giant chiseled chin guys? What's that guy's name now? I'm gonna... Uh, a callback to last week's episode on Helpless. We in the beginning of the episode, guys. Let us know. Right in. This album, The Good Son... It's got some of Nick Cave's biggest songs. You got the ship song on there, the weeping song. song. Uh, and then this is the hammer song, and there's uh, the witness song. Yeah. We were talking about, you know, potential parallels to Neil Young. And on the beach, there's ambulance blues, vampire blues, and revolution blues. Yeah. I don't know if that was him kind of doing a version of that, but maybe. Potentially. I, I think it says in the notes on Wikipedia that they were just left with their working titles, but I personally, I like, I like songs that are called songs, uh, you know, I not do. all the time, but we should make a Jubilee, a Jubilee 
street playlist of songs that are called song, like something song. Yeah. It, it, leave a message down in the comments or email us jubileestreetpod at gmail.com. If you I would like, like to see us make a playlist. I like Laura Stevenson's torch song. Uh, Laura Stevenson's torch song. She just put out a remaster of sit resist. that was remastered at Abbey road. Laura Stevenson continually mind blows me with like the music industry connections she has because I've always felt like kind of sim- like kind of similar, but not really to Nick cave. Like she just seems like she's so well lauded in the music industry and like by other like big bands, but she never has made that breakout, you know, she's cool but- as fuck. She does. She does shit her own way and like operates in the punk community, even though she doesn't make punk music. She's awesome. I could not have more respect for her. Before going back to Nick Cave, I will say we meant to plug on the last episode that she did an album with um, Jeff Rosenstock. Uh, oh, I think Neil they Young cover, covers. Yeah, they cover like four Neil Young covers. So uh, not Nick Cave related, but adjacent to the last week's episode. So check it out. Also, let's just do this 40 minutes into this episode. <laughs> Thank you to Mike for coming on last week. We probably should have said that at the beginning. But that was a great guest. I enjoyed meeting him. Hopefully, he'll come on again. Yeah. Um, before we let this ship go adrift, is there anything we want to talk about with uh, yeah, Hammer there Song is. Good Son? Okay. What do you got? Anyone, if anyone has a live version of this, please send it to us, jubileesreepodgmail.com. According to setlist.fm, they've only played this song once ever live which I find hard to believe, but I can't find anything on YouTube. I would love to see a live version of this song. I mean, I know this is kind of a more obscure song, but it would be really weird if you only ever played it once. So what album came out after The Good Son? After The Good Son, you have Henry's Dream. Henry's Dream. We haven't covered anything from that. I don't think so. And then you have Let Love In when he kind of broke through, at least in America. Would it be totally off base to say that this was a practice run for Boatman's Call? Yeah, this is definitely like, I think Boatman's Call came out of left field, but this is like the closest thing because a lot of these songs, like the ship song, mm-hmm. 100% could be on Boatman's Call. Well, I mean, Tender Prey and Your Funeral, My Trial came out before this record and Tender Prey had uh, the Mercy Seat on it. And that's probably the, like, just one of the best Nick Cave songs ever. Um, As far as, like, subject matter, it's definitely, like, some people might... I mean, I think that the Johnny Cash cover's better, but we covered that in the first episode of our show. Go back and listen to it. So, you know, you're, you're going from this to, like, a just as impactful, like, tonally record, like, The Good Son, but it... It, it it feels so much more subdued in a way like yeah this is probably like the most rocking song on the album and it's yeah. still pretty tame compared to like Tupelo or From Her to Eternity like those kind of songs I don't think we've done a song From Her to Eternity yet but I'm excited to do that album yeah, I don't think we have either he has so many albums like it feels like we've already done a good amount of episodes and we have not done even one song from every album yet, which is mind blowing. We'll get there. But Don't we're worry. knocking out we're knocking out two in one episode this week. Yeah. We figured, you know, you guys were probably tired of the cover episode, so we're uh we're knocking two birds with one stone. And 
how great were i mean both of these songs are really good i i love the cover and then i loved the actual like original hammer song from nick cave and then alex harvey's original let's see this is where i get confused or i'm worried people will get confused that song's fucking great so really just a good week for nick cave songs right now yeah i think that's about all i have to say really like this, the original Hammer song, like the one that Nick Cave wrote, it just uh, has such a cool vibe, that like spy thriller vibe. Like I don't think it sounds like any other song he's ever done, and mm-hmm. I just love it. And what was cool is I didn't know – I thought both songs were the same at first when you sent them to me, and I'd forgotten that you kind of had given me some instruction on it. So that's my bad. But when I listened to both of them, I was like, oh, they sound very different. So they like, he like redid the song for The Good Son. But I was like, these records weren't that far apart. That seems like a weird thing to do. And then yeah, I don't, that's what I, I was trying to find. Together. I don't know if like he wanted people to think that because only a few years before he had done a cover of, that, of a song called The Hammer Song. I don't know if he wanted people to think it was a reinterpretation or. I had a hard time finding any like interviews with him, but that would obviously be like, if you went and bought that album the day it came out and you saw that song title, you'd be like, Oh, it's a reworked version of the cover. I imagine because they were England adjacent for much of their career that Mm -hmm. a big chunk of their listeners could tell the difference. Even. Oh, for sure. I just didn't know if like, they fully probably knew that people would think that hip, that this version was like they people would think that it was him redoing the cover. Mm-hmm. But I don't think like there's any. I don't even think like the chord uh, progression similar. I mean, it's a totally different song. I guess we obviously know that now. Thirty years later, Ian, do you want to go ahead and rate these? Yeah. So this is probably my favorite cover that we've done so far, as far as like Nick's version. I would give that like a 7.5 and then the Good Son Hammer Song a 9. And I want to say, I don't know who directed that James Bond movie that got delayed because of COVID that's not coming out till next year. But if you're listening, uh, unknown director, you still have time to put this song in the new James Bond. Take heed. I think it's, uh, I think it's like Sam Mendes. I feel like he's Sam Mendes. this one put this in the movie it would fit so well i don't know if he i think he was i think he had like one left that he was doing maybe he did direct 1917 sam and we know you listen to this send it send this on to whoever might be making that next movie if it's not you and also tell him to make idris elba james bond is he or, not i thought he was james bond or just throwing this out here because i think it's a good idea either make regina hall from watch uh, Watchmen, the HBO Watchmen series. Yeah. Shout out Sister Sister Knight, right? Make her the new James Bond. Jenny and Bond. If not, Jamie Bond. And then any... J- j- I don't know. Any, Girls any can be named James. Who cares? If, as long as Bond's in there, you can you can make it work. Or Janelle Monet, honestly, would be great for that That's, role. When you brought up a black woman, I was like, Janelle Monet already That's, dresses like James Bond a lot. I just immediately see her being like suave and debonair and yeah, all that. Yeah, and she's a great actress. Stuff. And she's really funny and she's shout out, really shout out hidden figures. Shout out hidden shout out mental illness. Shout out hidden figures. Um 
Yeah, so hey, uh, I'm going to rate... Fact, I'm, we went to school with a person named James Bond. Well, I did. I think you... I told you about that. And Maybe in the alternate universe you no, did. No, in the alternate dimension in, in my high school in Kansas, we yeah. went to school with... And here's the thing. I don't know about in this oh. dimension. He insisted on being called Janie. If your name's James Bond, why don't you just roll with it? Why do you want people to call you Janie? I don't know. You have a badass name. Like, roll with it. Yeah, I don't know. Here, Your name is James Bond, and you don't want people to call you James? In this alternative universe, like, having any kind of cool name is just going to get you made fun of. That's the unfortunate reality. Of- I guess, but I was always blown away that he wanted people to call him Jamie. But that's neither here nor there. Do you want me to rate the songs, or do you want to just do yours? <laughs> Let's just do my... Uh, no, I'm, please, I'm gonna, please, Jake. I'm I'm waiting on bated breath to hear what you. I'm gonna give the. I, I honestly like. I'm not crazy about the Hammer song cover, so I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. I think it's good. I don't think it's great the whole time. I think the symbol puts it right above a five for me in its creativity, but it's not that memorable. The Hammer song from the Good Son. I'm gonna give a seven. It's not my favorite Nick Cave song, but I do really like the vibraphone and I really love the vocals and the imagery that it creates. And I'm, I'm probably going to give the Alex Harvey song a nine out of 10. I think it's great. That beginning of the Good Son Hammer song, when Nick Cave does that like spoken word, it sounds like he's like right up, right against the microphone talking. It sounds really cool. It is really cool. I, I like how lived in a lot of his music feels like it, it feels like you're stepping into this like secret place. And it's yeah, just... that's why I think a lot of his covers like don't maybe don't match the original because like he just brings this, like you said, this world when he makes a song and a lot of the songs he picks to cover are just like bangers and like, they don't have that. And like, sometimes a song doesn't need that, but he inherently makes things so big and epic that sometimes it's to the detriment of the cover. If I'm ever able to interview Nick Cave... I, I fully expect... What are we on? Episode like 14, 15? By episode, yeah. 100, by episode 100. Episode 100 will be with Nick Cave. <laughs> I'm, we, I'll, we will I'll have put, him on before this podcast is over. I want to ask him like... And I know it's such a simple question, but I just want to know why he has chosen for so long to talk about like references to Jesus and the Bible. Like... What is it he's that's probably so been asked that a hundred times? We're asking him questions he's never even thought of before. Okay, fine. If you want to shit on my question, that's great. No, I'm sorry. We we can 100 percent talk to him about Jesus. I just feel insecure because I don't know anything about Bible stuff, and I'm. Gonna I want to know because I I do know from going to school and studying like English and like literature and stuff. Like, it's not a new thing. I just want to know what's unique. Oh, to him the, about the Bible it. isn't a new thing. Like. Writing it like writers like <laughs> writers referencing it isn't a new thing. It's just no, it's not. Have you ever heard of John Steinbeck? East of I, Eden. John Steinbeck. Did he uh famed wait, anarchist the the goosebumps guy? Fuck R.L. Stein. I will feud with R.L. Stein on this podcast. Wait, I thought R.L. Steinbeck was your favorite alternative universe author. Oh fuck, R.L. Steinbeck is so good. Like a, a spooky horror version of Grapes of Wrath would be so good. Is yeah, R.L. Steinbeck a thing? There, well, there's Stephen, there's Stephen Stein in the alternative universe who's like 
he he's like Stephen King, but he writes all his books. Uh, R.L. Steinbeck is not a thing. I am making that a thing. Yeah, R.L. Steinbeck. Uh, we got to patent that now. Blue, blue, go patent R.L. Steinbeck. All right. So when I showed up on this, uh, this isn't, I guess, an alternate universe for you. It's just the main universe. When I showed up here, I just picked the name Ian McCurtis because I put together, you know, obviously Ian Curtis from Joy Division and Ian McKay from Fugazi. Ian McCurtis. I should have went by R.L. Steinbeck. There's, it's never too late. Maybe when we do our Ian McCurtis, Gabriel Ha crossover, we'll call it R.L. Steinbeck. I would love that. Uh, so we talked about a lot of things. A lot of them were in the cave, but I had fun. If you would like to get in touch with us, we have a link tree in almost all the bios of all our accounts. So you can check us out on Twitter, Jubilee Street Pod, uh, or is it podcast? It's streets underscore Jubilee because I couldn't get a good username. Okay, so streets underscore Jubilee is the only I need to pay off. Whoever has that Jubilee Street, I need to pay them off to get their username. Jubilee Street Pod, Instagram.com slash Jubilee Street Pod. Um, look us up on Spotify, Apple Music. Uh, we are still pretty young, but for our loyal follow and listening ship out there, you could do us a big favor by leaving a five-star review. Uh, get us up in the, like, the music personality podcast i don't know what apple does but give us a five-star rating and we'll remember it when we make like t-shirts. i said we are i said this on an earlier episode we are coming for the scott ackerman talking heads podcast we need to beat that podcast if if we can beat scott ackerman in the talking heads podcast we will get scott ackerman on the show and we'll talk about <laughs> who cares about his... the talking heads like oh we get it you're artsy uh, you wear big suits i Really, you know what, Ian? I'm really not okay with that. I love the Talking Heads. They've been talked okay. about to death, though. Everyone knows the Talking Heads are artsy. Why do you think they talk about them? Talk is everyone has written an article about them. Everyone, You're... the Talking Heads have been dissected to death. You we shitting on it. the Talking Heads, Ian, is not. I'm not doing I'm not anything other them. than giving them extra press. Now that the people talking, are the Talking Heads are great. It, we're it, they just, is, we get it. Like everyone this, knows, everyone talks about them all the time. This is what's wrong with our podcast. We talk about other artists on a Nick Cave podcast. Some guy was like, I'm going to go listen to Neil Young last week when that episode came out. It's like, that's not the point. You're supposed to listen to Nick Cave. Nick Cave paid us to get more streams on his music so he can make more money because he's not touring this year. Well, he needed to write it off on his taxes so he could buy that Fazioli get, uh, piano that piano. that he's talking about. Yeah, check us out on Instagram, uh, at Ian Curtis, at Orange Gemini. I didn't say that. Uh, check out, check us out on Spotify and Apple music. Um, I put a record out, like, I think I can plug it like one last time. I put an EP out on Gabriel Ha. It's called undecided demos. It's available everywhere. All streaming platforms. I love it. If you followed me on Spotify and gave it a couple listens, let me know what you think. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs>